Good morning, everybody. Uh, let's, let's open with prayer today. Dear Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would come um, speak to our hearts and apply your word to our lives. We open ourselves to you, and we pray that you would um, give us understanding, give us faith, and give us grace to, to obey and walk in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, well, today we've been talking about righteousness. And uh, I guess today, today's theme, I would say, is beholding the beauty of righteousness. Um, for the last week and a half, I think, we've been in what, what's called a season in the church year, the season of Lent. Lent. And uh, what is Lent? Well, it is not what you clean out of your dryer after every load uh, or out of your belly button. Sometimes that happens if you're an any. Um, no, uh, we're talking about Lent, L-E-N-T. Uh, and it's also not a six-week pause from partying or from eating meat or any other uh, human religious exercise. It is, uh, as some in the world have made it, and actually it's not a period of time that's any more holy than any other period of time in our lives or in the year. Uh, but what is it? Uh, the idea of observing Lent is not, certainly not for us to earn something from God. It's not for us to do penance for anything we've done wrong to God. Um, rather, it's an intentional reminder for us to focus on Jesus' suffering and death for us and uh, what he did to bear sin in our place because that's a powerful thing in our lives. Um, so, at, you know, during this time, as we remind ourselves of the passion of Jesus, we see a couple of things. We see the consequences of our sin transferred onto Jesus the sinless Son of God. At the cross 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, uh, we see the most ugly, horrible scene caused by sin. And there are a lot of ugly, horrible things caused by sin, even in our own lives. But I think what happened there was worse than anything that's happened. Um, but at the same time, we see the most beautiful demonstration of love and righteousness that's ever been shown in the world. Um, that's of God towards us, his wayward children. Um, in Isaiah 53, there's a, a prophecy, an amazing prophecy um, that describes what was going on when Jesus did that, when he d suffered and died. And uh, as we read it this morning, I want you to look at and try to notice contrast between the ugliness of sin that it talks about, what, what sin causes, and the beauty of the Lord and his love and his righteousness. So starting at the beginning, Isaiah 53. Who has believed 
what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's really, that's really the, the question about the gospel, right? Will we believe it? What has God revealed to our hearts about this truth? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He is Jesus, of course. And you think about it, think about the earth um, was a dead, spiritually dead place without him. Um, all of us were spiritually dead, but not he, not him. He uh, was alive, and so he grew up like that shoot growing out of the dry ground as he lived a life of righteousness. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So even though he was righteous, even though he was the son of God, he laid aside his glory and that, that which would attract us to him. And he came down from heaven and became a true man, even though he was God. Verse 3 says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So here he comes, the hero, doing this heroic saving deed, and especially when he came to the cross, even as he was taking our sin, we humans rejected him. And we did not recognize him for who he was and what he was doing. Uh, we did not even believe in him. I think about the, when he was on the cross, the two thieves, one on each side, and uh, the first one that spoke, uh, I think, exemplifies this, that um, he said uh, he mocked, he on the cross for his own sin, yet he mocked Jesus, the one who was giving his life for, for his own salvation. And that, that exemplifies what, what it's saying here. We humanity rejected the one who came to save us. That's ugliness. Verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now interestingly, griefs can all, is also translated as pains and sorrows also in the Bible is translated as sicknesses. And he took all of those things, everything, every part of the curse of sin upon himself at the cross. Yet, even so, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We looked at it and said, he got what he deserved. He was the one, the righteous one, was accused of being the evil one and put to death for it. And we humans, uh, we humans were the ones who were doing that. What a mistake. He was executed as a blasphemer but at the same time, he himself was taking our blasphemy upon himself. And he prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a bigger case <laughs> in all of history of humans not knowing what they were really doing. And yet, 
he forgave us. He forgave those people at that time, but we were involved too because of our sin. Verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, that means punishment, that brought us peace. Peace being right with God, healing, blessing, wholeness, deliverance from everything, every part of the curse of sin. And with his wounds, we are healed. What a precious verse. What a precious promise. I think if we think about that, think about the second thief on the cross, the one on the other side who responded, don't you fear God? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said what? He said, I promise you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. What a wonderful thing, what beauty. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Stupid sheep, foolish sheep. We have turned everyone to where? To his own way. To his own way. A sheep thinking it knows better than the shepherd. Or a sheep just so given to what it feels like doing that it just does it no matter what the shepherd. Ignorance of what the way the shepherd is leading. Wandering off to its own destruction. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Selfishness, self-interest, foolishness, unwilling to follow the shepherd. And it caused, what it did was it caused the shepherd to willingly take on a bitter battle, be it with a lion, a bear, a wolf, a dangerous and... Uh, uh, a dangerous battle that, that caused injury to him. But he willingly, responsibly, lovingly took that on uh, to save we sheep from our own ignorance and our own willfulness, our own selfishness and foolishness. Praise him. Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted Yet he opened not his mouth. I'm just thinking, oppressed and afflicted. Those are the things that God really hates when he sees us do it to one another. God has a special place in his heart for those who are on the receiving end of that kind of behavior. And yet when we did it to him, can you imagine? <laughs> you know, humans oppress the weak and that's one of the horrors of sin and yet God the most powerful one of all became weak and let himself be oppressed and mistreated all the things that he hates but he didn't open his mouth he let it happen like a lamb that is led to the slaughter like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living 
stricken for the transgression of my people. Here he is, the king of kings, cut off by the subjects of his own kingdom from his own rule. That could only happen by choice, right? What love, what forbearance. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Even in death, his greatness, his heroism wasn't recognized. His righteousness, though, remained perfect. What a beautiful thing. Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Just think about what that says. Uh, some of you here are fathers. Some of you are mothers. Um, what father here would crush his own son to save another person? Raise your hand. <laughs> I'm thinking about my sons. I wouldn't crush my son for anything. Oh, now, not just to save anyone, not a righteous one, but an enemy. That, that doesn't happen, but that's what the father was doing. How awesome he is. What love is that? When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Here's a turnaround here in the, in the message. But wait, here comes the comeback. Um, when I was in high school, I'm afraid that I'd come home on Friday, Saturday nights and turn on professional wrestling. And uh, I don't know if any of you guys remember Hulk Hogan, Hulk Mania, and... Uh, I guess he was a bad guy at one time, but th by that time he was a good guy, one of the good guys in the, in the show. And um, every match kind of had the same, same script. Uh, you know, it'd go back and forth. And then Hulk somehow would find himself uh, almost at the point of defeat. And it looked like he was gone, he had lost, and all of a sudden there's a twitch. And then his eyes open, and his face changes, and his muscles flex. And then all of a sudden, he's got renewed energy, and he rises up and uh, wins the match, destroys his, his opponent. And uh, it's kind of like that happening here. Like everything seemed like, what, what, what? God, the Son of God is just willingly letting himself be crushed by evil? What's going on? But no, it's a turnaround. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear his iniquities. It's better than any Rocky movie. All right. Uh, out of seeming total defeat comes unanticipated Complete victory. Hallelujah. Therefore, verse 12, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, 
because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What an awesome Savior. What a wonderful Lord. And here's the thing. It was worth it to him. There really is a reward for taking up one's cross and laying down one's life. It's totally worth it. It was totally worth it for Jesus. We heard this morning in a, some, in a word um, that, uh, um, what did we hear? Uh, just that um, we're called to, we're, we're called to, we are called to lay down our lives um, and take up our cross and um, that's what he did. And there's a reward. Jesus did it for the joy set before him. And he calls us to do the same thing. And at, at times it, it seems um, like, how can I bear this? How can I do this? But we need to remember and look to Jesus. It's totally worth it that... Um, that to sacrifice oneself in this life brings eternal glory that will not be regretted. And so, looking at that, as we look on the cross, we see the total ugliness of sin and how destructive sin is. And I'm, we're looking at why should we be righteous? How can we be righteous? And we think, Sin is not okay. Um, when we see the cross, we see how the appalling ugliness of our rebellion against our loving Father God. We see the outcome of every choice we've made to yield to temptation. It's the true image of, image of what our selfish pleasures actually look like when their disguises are removed. It's pain, it's shame, it's guilt, it's loneliness, it's broken relationship and death. We earned all of that. But Christ took it upon himself. And so, despite that ugliness, there's greater beauty that's, than has ever been shown. It's the most heroic act ever done. It demonstrates greater love than any person has ever had at any time to lay down one's life for another. It's the greatest comeback victory ever won over the worst enemy ever. And that enemy is ourselves and it's sin and death. It's the most perfect leadership ever demonstrated. It's the most generous gift ever given. But more importantly, in Jesus' death, we see the death of our own old sinful self. We died, and that's the greatest thing that we see in that. And in his resurrection, to go with it, we receive his new life and perfect righteousness. And that's beautiful. Um, Walter Wangren Jr., uh, in his devotional, one that I've been reading that my parents gave me some time ago, Reliving the Passion. 
describes why it's so important for us to remember what Jesus did on the cross. When I'm talking about this is because it's a part of living in righteousness. Okay? He says, The passion of Christ, his suffering and death, is such a mirror. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Did you like what you saw? Maybe, maybe not. Are the tears of my wife that I caused hard to look at? He's talking about the fact that his wife is a mirror of his own behavior, right? When he behaves badly, he doesn't like what he sees in her reaction, her tears. Well, the pain in the face of Jesus is harder. It is myself in my extremist truth, my sinful self. The death he died reflects a selfishness so extreme that by it I was divorced from God and life and light completely. I raised myself higher than God. But because the Lord God is the one true God, my pride did no more in the end than to condemn this false God of myself to death. For God will be God, and all false gods will fall before him. So that's what I see reflected in the mirror of Christ's crucifixion. My death, my rightful punishment, my sin and its just consequence. Me. And precisely because it is so accurate, the sight is nearly intolerable. Nevertheless, I will not avoid that mirror. This mirror is not passive only, showing what is. It is active, creating new things to be. It shows me the new me behind the shadow of a sinner. For when I gaze at his crucifixion, I see my death indeed, but my death done. His death is the death of the selfish one, whom I called ugly and hated to look upon. And resurrection is another me. Hallelujah. When we look at Jesus' death, though, we cannot say, my sin is okay. It doesn't matter to God. We can't say that. We can't say, I'm a pretty good person. I've done more good than bad in my life. So I deserve to go to heaven and be loved by God? We cannot say it. We can only repent and fall on his mercy and praise him. But Jesus' death does not end with our ticket to heaven. In Jesus Christ is the death of our sinfulness and our rebirth in his righteousness. In him we're made alive by the Holy Spirit and we are empowered and led by the Spirit to live in his righteousness. And a, a good place to look, we've looked at it before about living in righteousness, is Romans chapter 8. So let's start at the beginning. First of all this, after thinking about the cross, hear these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Feel free to cheer now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. For the law of the spirit of life, that's 
in my Bible, Spirit with a capital S, the Holy Spirit, has set you free in Christ Jesus, that's an important phrase there, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The flesh is our, our sinful nature, our humanity, what we were born with. in order that could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It was very important, that Je- and it's important for us to believe, like we said in the creed before, that Jesus became a true man. He was true God, the son of God, but also true man. And he came, became one of us, just like we saw at the beginning of Isaiah 53. In the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, what Jesus did was a transfer, right? His righteousness, he took our sin upon himself at the cross. We see our death there, right? And he transfers his righteousness to us. And so... Again, we've said this before in the past few weeks. Our righteousness is totally dependent on Jesus' death and resurrection at the cross. God has given us his perfect righteousness. So when he sees us, he sees righteous children because of the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Cheer again. That's fine. Hallelujah. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. In other words, we have the Holy Spirit in us and he is leading us to walk in a different path. And we can do it because he can do it. Because he's in us. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the thing sorry, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So it's interesting what it's talking about, how to live according to the Spirit, and it involves our mind, and we're going to talk more about that in a couple minutes. Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Yikes. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Peace, not just the feeling of comfort, of calmness, but peace as in wholeness, healing, and righteousness. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. That's, that's what we saw that put Jesus on the cross and mocked him. Indeed, it cannot Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so we don't want to be in the flesh. Verse 9. Here's some truth. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So this is the truth about yourself. Now, uh, we we don't always walk in truth, like when it comes to daily decisions and living, right? But that doesn't make the true not, truth not true, right? So this is the truth about you, if you are a believer. 
It is the truth. Because you do have the Spirit, if you are a believer in Christ. He lives in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Raise your hand if he does. This is good news. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Warren would say this is a good time to shout. There's a lot of good times to shout. Let me ask you this question. Whose righteousness? Jesus' righteousness. That's right. By faith in Christ Jesus, our sinful flesh is declared dead and we are indeed made alive and new by the Holy Spirit. But now that we are made uh, new, Paul tells us that the Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies and fulfill the righteous requirement of the law as we walk according to the Spirit. Um. Now, we know he's talking about there will be a time at the end when Jesus comes back, and if we've been dead, we'll be raised. If our bodies have been dead, I mean, they'll be raised, and we'll be resurrected. If we're still alive, our bodies will be changed, and our body will be resurrected without going in the grave. Um, there's that, but I think he's also talking, he's talking about now. There's an element of resurrection and new life to our sinful, to our, to our bodies that can happen now. How do we walk according to the Spirit? What did it say? By setting our minds on the things of the Spirit rather than the things of the flesh. See, our minds are a battleground. I think Joyce Meyer wrote a book about that. Uh, but it's true. The mind can set the course toward the flesh's desires or toward the spirit of righteousness, toward the Holy Spirit and his righteousness. To set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. Death. To set the mind on the spirit are what two things? Life and peace. So the mind is important. What happens in our mind is important. We are the gatekeepers of what knocks on the door of our minds. Do you believe that? Your mind, you are the gatekeeper of it. We, led by the Holy Spirit, can set the mind's agenda. And that part, led by the Holy Spirit, is an extremely important part, right? We have the authority to kick out what doesn't belong and choose to think on the things that are beautiful and good. Uh, if you have a good memory, you might remember that seven years ago I told a, this joke in, in a different sermon. Okay? So sorry if you remember. A little old lady answered a knock on the door one day only to be confronted by a well-dressed young man carrying a vacuum cleaner. Good morning, said the young man. If I could take a couple of minutes of your time, I would like to demonstrate the very latest in high-powered vacuum cleaners. Go away, said the old lady. I haven't got any money. And she proceeded to close the door. Quick as a flash, the young man wedged his foot in the door and pushed wide open. 
Don't be too hasty, he said. Not until you have at least seen my demonstration. And with that, he emptied a bucket of horse manure onto her hallway carpet. If this vacuum cleaner does not remove all traces of this horse manure from your carpet, madam, I will personally eat the remainder. The old lady stepped back and said, well, I hope you've got a good appetite because they just cut off my electricity this morning. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, there are a lot of vacuum cleaner salesmen out there wanting to dump dirt on the carpet of our minds that they have no intention of cleaning up. And I'm talking about what's around us in our society. People, media, music, books, uh, movies, any, there's, there's all kinds of messages being sent. And there are also demons. And there's also that, that sinful flesh, which is dead, legally dead, but try, tries to rear itself up at times. And... Uh, we need to be aware of it. So what does it say? Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And see, Paul wrote this too, right? So see how much of this echoes what he wrote in Romans chapter 8. He says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Right? Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay, if Christ is there, then we have been raised with Christ, right? And we should be sitting there too, at least with our hearts. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Heard that before somewhere. For you died. What does that mean? You're no longer a citizen of the world, right? If, if you die, they put you in the ground and they move on without you, right? But that's a good thing in this sinful world. Uh, so you're the walking dead? Is that, is that what we are? Um, to, dead to the world. We're, we're the ones who are walking around alive in the world. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's a good word. You are safe and secure with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Before I go on, that's something you can do, right? That's, a, that's an imperative sentence. I'm a grammar teacher. That means uh, it's a command, like something you're suppo we're supposed to do. Uh, it's our cooperation. It can only be done because Christ lives in us, but he empowers us. We have that power because of the spirit of Christ in us. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's the truth. The wrath of God is coming. Through Christ, we are not targets of the wrath of God, but we don't want to jump into that stuff which made us a target in the first place, amen? Yeah. 
So he says, put it to death. Verse six, verse seven. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves. There's another thing we can do. Rid ourselves of what? Of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Those are the practices of the old self, right? You've taken that off. That's the truth. And have put on the new self. Those things are already done, right? That's past tense. Which is being renewed. That's a progress in progress, right? So you see what's happening here. We've been changed. We've taken off the old self. We're, we have already put on the new self. Uh, and that new self is being renewed as we wear it. Does that make sense? Being renewed in knowledge. I think the mind is involved there again. It's also relationship, knowledge. In the image of its creator. In other words, we're being made to be more and more like God. Praise the Lord, that's beautiful. Again, Paul tells us to set our minds on things above. For the born-again believer, the flesh is legally dead and powerless. Do you believe it? Yes. You don't have to sin? I'm not saying you're saved because now you're not going to sin anymore. You're already saved, but you know what? You, your flesh has no power to command you what to do. It's a dead dog. So the Roth dog, Louie, it's like this tall on me, I think. And taking him for a walk, he might pull me around. But if he were dead, he wouldn't pull me anywhere, right? And neither can the flesh pull you around. Um, unless somehow you think that you can pick up Louis and carry him around because you think, because you're deceived. That's what the devil's deception is. Um, the enemy can only lead us into sin by deception. So Paul teaches us to put to death those thoughts that lead to sin. With the Holy Spirit in us, we can rid ourselves of those earthly sinful things. The Christian life is a life of ongoing renewal in knowledge and the image of our Creator. Remember what it says in, in Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever, uh, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you don't see horse manure listed in there. <laughs> Think about such things. We can choose to behold the Lord's beauty and think upon his goodness. Again, you are the gatekeeper to your mind because the Holy Spirit is in you, leading you. All the beautiful things of God will encourage our hope in him and remind us of our identity, our purpose, our future in him. They will help us walk in heaven even as we are on earth. In what ways can we think upon his beauty? Well, I've got a list here. Maybe you can think too. Okay. Sometimes people confuse these things because they think, 
ah, these are just works, human works. We're not saved by these things. No, we're not saved by these things. But these are things, these are ways that we put to death the works of the flesh and set our minds on Christ. How about remember Jesus' death for you on the cross as we regularly take the Lord's Supper? That's a way. Read the Bible. Listen to godly teaching. Meditate on the promises of the Bible. So that means think about them. You know, we Christians, we don't meditate on nothing. We meditate on truth and on righteousness. Meditate on the goodness of God's commands. There's a lot of those in the Bible too, New Testament included. In fact, I'd say there are probably more in the New, I don't know, there's just as many in the New Testament as in the Old Testament, I think. Because God's commands are good. It's the right way to live. It's the healthy way to live. It's the, it's the path to blessing. It's, it's what pleases him. They're just right. Remember the faithful things he's done for you. We're so quick to forget sometimes how faithful he is and what he's done. And we think, my life is so hard. Well, I have no doubt. We have problems, right? I'm not saying that. But he has done so much for us. And we need to remember. We need to tell others about them. Give thanks for all he has done. Get in the habit of giving thanks. That's the best, quickest way to set your mind on things above. Sing and praise the Lord for his greatness. I don't know why, but there's a reason why it's one of the most common commands in the Bible to sing praise to the Lord. Sing to him. I think music involves, well, it really connects our memory fast, uh, but it also involves our soul, connects our feelings, which aren't always true, to the truth. Pray in the Spirit. Talking about praying in tongues, if you've realized or gotten a breakthrough in that gift, do it. Use it. Pray with understanding. Use your words. Talk to God. Call on Him. Ask Him for help. Lift up His name. Intercede for others. When you pray, take time to listen to the Holy Spirit. He speaks. He speaks to you. He speaks to all of us. We are made to hear his voice and he lives in you. So why would he not speak to you? He doesn't give you the silent treatment. But a lot of times we're not expecting or we're too busy to listen. Take time to listen. It's a good way to set your mind on the truth because he'll tell you what the truth is. Speak what is true and good. We've said on, from this pulpit many times, your words are powerful. So speak the truth. Don't speak that which is not good. Don't speak that which is not true. Speak the truth. Ask God for wisdom. He's got it. It said the Holy Spirit, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will impart to you all that which is mine. And all that the Father has is mine. And he's going to impart all of that to you. So James says, you have not because you ask not. Uh, 
but we can expect God to give us wisdom. And then finally, choose wisely what you let in. Garbage in, garbage out, right? You are what you eat. And if you eat all Twinkies, you're going to turn into a Twinkie with a cream filling. <laughs> but spiritually speaking, if you fill yourself with spiritual Twinkies, you're going to have spiritual cream filling, which is not good. So choose wisely what you watch, what you listen to, what you read, and otherwise put into your mind. Some things are good. Let's put those in. Let's not put in what, what is earthly. And I'm not saying... I'm not saying there's no place for entertainment. But what I'm saying is, what's going into your mind? Be and we need to be aware today because uh, with, the, with the technology that we have today, <laughs> there's a lot more available at our fingertips, in our pocket, uh, literally, than there was in the past. And, and you're still making choices, either that or you're letting somebody else make choices for you, what's going into your mind. And we see the mind is a battleground, and you control. Uh, don't, don't let the uh, vacuum cleaner salesman force his foot into the door, in the door and let himself in. That's a lot, of, a lot of ways. You can probably think of some more ways. These things aren't legalistic things. These things are our life. These things are what's good for us. And, uh, and we're commanded to, to uh, fix our minds on them. Let's live by the Spirit, setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things, and continually gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and his righteousness. And that starts with the beauty of the cross and what he did for us and blossoms into many more things that are beautiful. Let's keep our eyes on him. In this we'll be renewed in knowledge and the image of our creator. That's what the promise is in Colossians. It's a process and we, we, wanna, we wanna cooperate with that process of the life that is already in you, the spirit who is already living in you if you have faith in Jesus. Psalm 20, just I want to close with Psalm 27.4. It was true in the Old Testament too. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That's our home. Our home is the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Think of the most beautiful scene you've ever seen. Maybe it's outside, maybe it's a rainbow or a thunderstorm or beautiful scenery. Think about the beauty of the Lord, how beautiful he is and to seek him in his temple. Do you have to go to Jerusalem for that? Not, not anymore. Where is his temple now? Where, yeah, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This body that was the body of death at one point has been transformed. It has been resurrected because now it's called the temple of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, we, 
We thank you for your beauty. We thank you for the beauty of righteousness. We thank you for the gift. Uh, Lord, when we think upon the cross, what you did, Lord, we're appalled by our own shame to think that we we put put you there. But we praise you and thank you that you are so good that you did that willingly for us. You chose to take our sin upon yourself and you prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So we thank you for grace. We receive your grace. We receive your mercy now. We receive it anew. And Lord, we come before you and we repent of those things where we have, we've been setting our minds on on earthly things when you wanted us to set our minds on heavenly things. And we pray, Lord, that day by day you would be renewing us, that we would be, our new self will be renewed in knowledge and the image of you, our creator. And let us spread your truth and your grace and your beauty to the world around us. Uh, to, to be like Jesus, to be agents for for um, revival and renewal. Lord, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.